SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Monday, April 17, Living Black, Australia's longest-running Indigenous current affairs program, is returning for its 30th season tonight. Today's Living Black episode also marks the 20th anniversary of the program. And uh, leading up to this program, I sat down with Carla Grant, Living Black founder and executive producer, to give us some insights into the program, how it all started, the journey travelled so far, and more. NITV Radio Today will also bring you a selection of stories from NITV, including a report with Ken Wyatt revealing why it was difficult for him to resign from the Liberal Party, racism in the AFL, and the first Indigenous radio station to launch in Australia in an Australian capital city as the program celebrates a milestone. Also in today's program, we learn how our screens are still a long way from reflecting the true makeup of the nation. All these stories and more after the latest news coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. This bulletin, former Liberal MP Pat Farmer begins efforts to raise awareness for the voice to Parliament. Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers foreshadows tight financial measures ahead of the May budget. And in sport, the AFL's gather round is set to remain in South Australia for the next three years. Minister Anthony Albanese has praised former Liberal MP Pat Farmer's commitment to run over 14,000 kilometres around Australia to raise awareness for the Yes campaign of the upcoming Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. It, coming, it comes during Mr Albanese's visit to Hobart from where Mr Farmer will begin his run with the end point set for October 11 at Uluru in the Northern Territory. Mr Albanese says the former MP is an ideal example for all Australians. He is showing his commitment to reconciliation and he will, through this run, uh, mobilise these local communities where he visits and I know that He'll speak in a little while, but I know that he's hoping to mobilise that support. Mr Farmer shared his excitement to begin the marathon, pointing out the importance of the Indigenous Voice referendum. I want you to show not only Australians, but indeed show the world that Australians are mature 
mature enough to reflect on the last couple of hundred years of our history, to learn from the mistakes of our past and to move on into the future as one nation, one people. One nation, one people. This is not a divisive exercise. This is an exercise of unity. My footsteps are the thread that will weave together this magic tapestry that will take us on into the future. Collingwood player Nick Dacos paid tribute to St Kilda's AFL star Nicky Winmar for his stand against racism 30 years ago. In a post-game interview, Dacos honoured St Kilda's AFL star Nicky Winmar who was present at the game between Collingwood and St Kilda yesterday. Yeah, pretty um, pretty exhausted. St Kilda went to the final siren and I'm sure we'll take a look at some things, but it was a great win overall. I just want to quickly honour, um, it was great to have Nicky Winmar here, obviously 30 years ago, and it was an absolute privilege to be on the ground with him. So it was great to honour him from both clubs and it was an awesome experience. Dacos's tribute to Winmar came on the eve of the 30th anniversary of Winmar's historic stand against racism. Ahead of the game, Collingwood also issued a formal apology for racist abuse marked by supporters directed at Winmar in 1993. Federal Treasurer Dr Jim Chalmers has foreshadowed tight economic measures for households ahead of the upcoming budget in May. It comes after Dr. Chalmers returned from Washington, D.C., where he participated in the G20 summit, where he had the chance to gauge the worldwide economic outlook outlook for the next couple of years. The Treasurer says that although the Australian economy is under intense pressure due to global circumstances, he is confident it will be able to make it through this difficult period. Uh, The best antidote to global economic uncertainty is responsible economic management here at home and that's what the May budget will represent. We do have, as we've said in this room a number of times, uh, we do have a lot coming at us but we do have a lot going for us as well. Uh, Low unemployment, uh, high prices for our exports and both of those things are helping the budget right now but the pressures on the budget are intensifying after that Uh, And that's obviously a big focus as well as we finalise the second budget to be handed down at the beginning of May. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese has defended the federal government's new aged care nursing requirements. It comes as the industry calls for leniency around compliance with the reforms requiring residential aged care homes to have a registered nurse on site 24 hours a day from July 1. The government has already considered that not all aid care homes are going to meet that deadline, with exemptions being made for small facilities located in remote areas. However, Mr Albanese told the ABC almost 90% of homes have already met the necessary requirements. We're closely monitoring the system uh, together with the Commission, but we're confident going forward that people are receiving the right care, that the sector is heading in the right direction and that our reforms are the right ones to make. Australian Cyber Security Minister Claire O'Neill says she has instructed law enforcement agencies to find hackers wherever they are in the world after the recent string of cyber attacks on major farms such as Medibank, Optus and Latitude. It comes after the revelation that people in Australia lost over $3.1 billion in scams in the last year, an increase of 80% compared to 2021. Claire O'Neill has told the ABC's Four Corners program that Australia is not defenceless and that, it, and that it will begin to hit back at those attempting to harm it using cybercrime. 
the instruction of the Australian Government now to the Australian Signals Directorate, the cyber guns of the Australian Government and the Australian Federal Police is you go, you rove the world, you find these people and you hurt them before they can hurt us. There are reports Sudan's army has gained the upper hand in a bloody power struggle with rival paramilitary forces, which has seen at least 59 civilians killed, including three UN workers. The fighting broke out on Saturday between army units loyal to General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and the rapid support forces led by Deputy Leader Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo. It's the first such outbreak since both joined forces to oust President Omar Hassan al-Bashir in 2019. In an emergency meeting of the Arab League, Sudan's envoy al-Sadiq Omar Abdallah has cautioned against international interference, saying it's up to the Sudanese people to determine their own fate. We have to affirm that what is happening in Sudan is an internal issue, and at the same time, all efforts are needed from our brotherly Arab countries in order to calm the situation in the country. The Indonesian military says one of its personnel was killed in a crossfire with separatist rebels in the Papua region on Sunday. The exchange of fire took place when troops were searching near a location where they believe a New Zealand pilot, Philip Mertens, is being held. Mr. Mertens was kidnapped by separatist rebels in February this year. Military spokesperson Julius Wichojono says that while rescue efforts will continue, difficult weather conditions are the biggest hindrance to the operation. Weather conditions are the greatest hindrance to the operation. We know the location of the pilot, the operation has been escalated, but the weather conditions in Papua are unpredictable. Back home, Melbourne has been named Australia's biggest city following an update to the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, census in 2021. The 2021 census changed the boundaries of the city to include the district of Melton, which raised the total population to nearly 4.9 million people. The number gives Melbourne a narrow lead over Sydney, which the Bureau says is a result of rapid population growth on Melbourne's western fringes. The population of Greater Sydney remains larger than that of Greater Melbourne, yet forecasts predict that this will only remain for a few years. And to sport uh, confirmation that the Australia Football League's AFL Gather Round stays in South Australia for the next three years will spark fierce lobbying among local venues to share in the funding windfall. The inaugural round, borrowing from the National Rugby League's Magic Round concept, had all 18 teams playing in Adelaide and the Adelaide Hills over four days. It succeeded beyond all expectations, prompting the AFL to strike the three-year deal with South Australia. Two of the keys to the round's success were Inner Suburban Norwood Oval and Mount Barker in the Adelaide Hills, which were used alongside Adelaide Oval. Norwood and Mount Barker received significant upgrades to bring them up to AFL standards. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 32, Perth, Ashwa 224, Adelaide, mostly sunny 21, Melbourne, mostly sunny as well, 21 degrees, Hobart, partly cloudy 20, Albury, Wodonga, sunny 19, Canberra, mostly sunny 19, Wollongong, mostly sunny as well, and the top of 21, Sydney, partly cloudy 22, Newcastle, possible shower 23, Brisbane, partly cloudy 30, Townsville, cloudy 27, Keynes, showers 30, Alice Springs, sunny 22, Darwin, partly cloudy 33, 
and the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and a top of 33 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Australia's longest-running Indigenous Current Affairs program representing the interests and concerns of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians is hitting a new milestone celebrating 20 years existence and its 30th uh, season. And with me to talk about uh, this, uh, the journey of uh, Living Black is uh, Living Black founder and executive producer Carla Grant. Carla, first of all, congratulations on uh, hitting uh, such a milestone. Thank you so much, Bertrand. Yeah, it's an incredible milestone, uh, 20 years as the longest running Indigenous current affairs program on Australian television. So I'm incredibly proud um, of all the work that we've done um, thus far, and, and looking forward to, um, uh, you know, more uh, t- another twenty years. Hopefully, I don't know if, yeah, if I'll be around for another twenty years in this, uh, on the show, but um, I will be, you know, um, for as long as we're doing um, what we're doing, and, and um, you know, uh, the program is going from strength to strength. Which, um, as I said, I'm really proud of the work that we do, and, and um, we'll keep going. Yeah, now the show is uh, part of uh, everyone's menu, at least those who consume uh, TV shows regularly and uh, who are interested uh, to know a little bit better and more on current affairs from an Indigenous perspective. But little would people know about uh, how this show came about, uh, the context in which uh, you brought it to being and uh, the challenges that you faced? Yeah, well, um, I created the program uh, 20 years ago in 2003 and um, that was after, um, you know, management, SBS management. Um, we just finished doing the ICAM program, the Indigenous Cultural Affairs magazine show. Uh, that sort of came to an end in 2001 and management asked me to come up with something, um, another program. And so I spent a bit of time of doing some research and development and then came up with the concept uh, for Living Black. And at that time, we were trying to be everything to everyone, I think, because at that time, there weren't many other Indigenous current affairs programs on um, telly. Um, there was uh, Message Stick at the time, but they were doing, they were a different program to us. They were doing more sort of documentary style um, you know, programs. So uh, Living Black was more of news. We had like a news wrap. We had our feature story, our um, interview. Um, we'd also do something, uh, stories on, on the arts, um, sport, culture. So it was, you know, we were trying to do everything at that time. But of course the program has um, evolved over the years and, um, you know, we've changed our format to the point now where we are um, doing you know half hour docu- documentary style um, investigations and also um, half hour one on one conversations which I really love doing so um, yeah it's it's we've been covering a lot of um, you know as I said the investigations are really important because we're unearthing a lot of uh, stories that um, um, you know stories that aren't being covered anywhere else and and. Know, very important issues that um, Indigenous Australians face, like you know, child removals and deaths in custody, and 
and all of those sorts of things. So we're really shining a spotlight on those issues and giving a voice, uh, more importantly, to those who, who are voiceless. Yeah, I know you've uh, done some uh, really groundbreaking investigative pieces and uh, produced uh, some very, very powerful conversations. I can think of conversations uh, last year, in the last two seasons, actually, uh, where you sit down with uh, politicians or opinion leaders or just people who shape the narrative and they can sit down with you and uh, hold conversations with no holds barred. How do you attract them and how do you get to get them to open up so easily? Uh, yeah, it's um, I, I'm just I guess over the years we've built up a lot of trust and respect, um, you know, um, in the industry and and amongst you know community and and also the non-indigenous community as well. So I've been very lucky that I've been able to sit down with so many uh, amazing, very fascinating people, um, you know, like past prime ministers um, Kevin Rudd and, and Malcolm Turnbull. Um, you know, I've, I've also sat down with the Dalai Lama on two occasions, and and also, um, you know, many of our our great icons, First Nations icons, and um, icons of our nation. Um, you know, Kathy Freeman and Adam Goods, and um, yeah, so many different people. You know, um, also Indigenous leaders like Noel Pearson and Linda Burney, and. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, there's just too many to name, Bertrand. But yeah, no, I can think it's of. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, to to have been able to sit down with you know people, um, a whole range of people from sports people right through to um, you know politicians, and I really love doing one-on-one conversations because I I like to delve into people's lives and find out what makes them tick and. And so um, through that, I'm, I'm able to get them to open up to me. And sometimes there's some tears and, and, um, and uh, there's also, you know, uh, laughter as well. So we go through the whole gamut of emotions, I think, um, when I do uh, talk to people because I, I talk to them about their lives, you know, how they grew up, um, you know, how did they get to the point where they are today and, you know, what sort of contribution they're making to improving the lives of First Nations people. So we, we you know, t- uh, talk about different issues um, along the way as well. So um, you know, I just feel really honoured that, you know, people, um, you know, trust me to, to sit down with me and to trust me with their story. So, um, yeah, and there'll be many more... Uh, you know, fascinating conversations coming up in this new series as well. Yeah, no, no, I can think especially of the last conversations before the last federal elections where you sat down with all the sitting Indigenous MPs and uh, they really opened up and uh, one that uh, struck everyone's mind was uh, uh, out of the blue was Jackie Lambie and then Ken Wyatt as well. But yeah, very, very powerful mm. conversations uh, still available on SBS On Demand, I believe. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, if anyone missed um, those episodes and would like to, you know, uh, go back and have a look at them, uh, they're they're all up on SBS On Demand. Um, And, yeah, Jackie Lambie was um, very fascinating to to speak to. And um, we also have her um, actually in this first episode to kick off the series as well. And over this uh, 20-year journey, you've um, yourself uh, gained recognition throughout uh, the media landscape and the show itself, and uh, you've uh, received uh, some accolades. Can you tell us about some of the accolades? Yeah, we've been very, very fortunate to um, have you know, bagged quite a few um, awards 
in the last few years actually um, and you know one of my sort of uh, goals was to to get a Walkley award and and that's what we did in 2021 we were um, lucky enough to to get uh, the Walkley for Indigenous coverage in 2021 for um, a body of work that we did um, some of our investigations so um, that was an incredible um, you know um, uh, moment to you know, to when we were announced as the winners and um, yeah it was something that I've always dreamt of uh, for a very long time and uh, and that sort of finally came true but we also have won a Kennedy Award as well and we've won a number of um, um, First Nations uh, media awards as well uh, for our interviews and um, for our um, Aboriginal Lives Matter episode as well that, that documentary um, won for best um, program so um, yeah we've also won an Amnesty International Media Award as well so I'm really really you know feel very honoured that we've been able to um, you know get those awards and, and I think it just shows um you know, it's always nice to, to sort of be acknowledged and recognised for the work that you do um, by your peers. So I feel, you know, very proud that our team were fortunate enough to, to get those awards and hopefully there'll be many more to come. Yeah. And over the years, you've worked with uh, so many um, people, you've crossed paths. Some of them I've actually had the pleasure of working with as well at SBS at Atamon and even uh, here in Melbourne. Can you tell us a word or two about uh, some of the people you've uh, shared the journey on Living Black in the last 20 years? Oh, wow, Bertrand. There's so many people who have worked on the program over the last 20 years and, um, you know, it's probably too many to name, but a lot of our, you know, journalists um, who have gone on to do other things have, you know, uh, come through um, at Living Black, like, you know, um, uh, Nakari Thorpe, who's, who's over at the ABC, Ryan Little also, um, who else has there been? Laura Murphy Oates, who's now working for The Guardian. Um, uh, Ella Archibald Binge, who's also over at the ABC. Um, yeah, there's just you know so many people that have worked on the program over the years, and and um, you know they they've gone on to do um, you know great things elsewhere. So I'm really proud to, I guess, um, have been a part of of people's growth and and to help, you know, grow the industry as well. So, um, you know, because as I said, when I, when I started the program, there weren't a lot of um, First Nations journalists around, um, only a handful. So, you know, we created a cadetship here, um, which would help, you know, to you know, train people up and also bring them through Living Black. And they've also gone on to do other things as well. And so, you know, that's, uh, you know, you know, can only be a really good thing because then they're going into other newsrooms and helping to educate about First Nations, um, you know, issues and culture and, and take their knowledge um, elsewhere as well. So, yeah, it's, you know, I'm sure there'll be you know, many more people coming through the team as well. And, um, you know, it's, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm really grateful and, and proud to have been a part of the growth of, of our um, industry as well. The milestone episode of uh, Living Plug, the one that uh, triggered this conversation, is just around the corner. Can you give us a sneak peek of uh, what's uh, in that um, Living Plug episode and also uh, going forward, uh, what are the projects and uh, the future of the program? 
Yes, well, um, as you said, yeah, we're back on air soon and, and um, we kick off the series with a very special one-hour episode to, to mark this incredible milestone of 20 years on air and but also to talk to some people um, who are going to discuss the issue, which is one of the, I guess you could say, is the biggest issue facing, you know, not just First Nations people at the moment, but our, our entire nation, and that, that is the referendum on a voice to Parliament. And um, and so we uh, decided that we would have a special um, discussion with a number of guests in the studio uh, to mark the 20 years and also to talk about this issue. And um, in the studio I have with me Senators Lydia Thorpe and Jackie Lambie. Um, we all, we're also joined by the former Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, Reconciliation Australia CEO, Karen Mundine, uh, NRL great Dean Witters and actor and producer, Aaron Fazo and also um, Noel Pearson, uh, you know, who is a lawyer and academic and land rights activist. He joined us from um, Noosa, where he was at the time. So, um, and we also have a, a studio audience as well with some um, past and present um, you know, um, members of, of Living Black and, and colleagues from NITV and SBS, and also my family were in the audience as well. So it was a really, really special program and. And, um, you know, it was so great to have all those incredible people in the, um, you know, on the panel with me to talk about this issue and talk about it from their, you know, their perspective and um, what their stance is on, on this issue. And, and so, you know, I think it's really important at the moment, you know, as Australians are, you know, um, we're all talking about this referendum that's coming up later this year. It's important for us as a you know as a channel to be putting forward a number of different you know, views and perspectives because you know First Nations people um, we are a diverse people we all have different views about um, issues we don't all agree on everything so um, you know as I said it was important to have different perspectives in the room so everyone could put their point across and then we leave it up to the audience to you know, um, to decide for themselves that um, it's all about, you know, having an informed discussion and um, and then, you know, presenting all those perspectives, um, you know, to the audience. Yeah. And the program, uh, new directions or just uh, staying on course? Yeah, so um, for the first episode, we, we have that one-hour uh, special forum discussion. Um, but also panel discussion, I, sh- I should say, um, that um, for the rest of the series we will be having um, conversations. Um, so I've got some really fascinating ones coming up. Um, for the second episode, we actually speak with Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney, because she was unable to join us for, um, for the first episode. So um, I have a whole half hour with her to talk about, you know, the government's um, you know what the government plans to do, why they believe that um, a voice to parliament is um, important and why it's needed, and what what it will do um, if um, you know if there is a successful referendum and, and the yes vote gets over the line. Um, and also um, throughout the series, we'll, we'll be talking to we've got Luke Carroll, who of course is a is a very um, talented um, actor and on stage and screen and is a play school presenter, um, a, a role that he relishes in uh, being a father himself of, of two um, beautiful boys. 
Um, so it's a really emotional um, conversation and, and, you know, there's a few tears in there as well as he talks about his mum, who was a, a great inspiration to him. Um, we also speak with the wonderful um, Deborah Cheatham, who's a soprano and composer and educator about her life and career. Um, also, Arnie Pat Anderson, who's one of the leading you know, figures in this Voice to Parliament um, debate. And um, we also speak with Christine Arnu and the new artistic director of Bangara, Francis Rings, joins us for a yarn as well. So there's something in there for everyone, Bertrand. Yeah, no, no, sounds like a very, very exciting uh, new season ahead. Well, Carla Grant, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on short notice and congratulations again on a fantastic show. Thank you so much, Bertrand. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Now, Living Black uh, screens uh, on uh, NITV and uh, the milestone uh, edition, uh, the milestone episode was screened at 8.30pm tonight on NITV. It's also to be reminded that uh, all episodes of uh, Living Black are also streamed on SBS uh, On Demand. Now, coming up next in the program, a selection of stories from NITV exploring high-profile resignation, racism in AFL, and Australia's longest-running indigenous radio station in a capital city reaches a milestone, a tremendous one. We also explore diversity on our screens. Well, we'll see how a lot has been done in the right direction, but more needs to be done. I am Bertrand Tungandame, and you're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back, and now our selection of stories from NITV's NOLA program. Well, last weekend, the AFL held its first ever gather round, with all 18 teams playing their round five fixture in Adelaide. But it's been overshadowed by a spate of online racial abuse directed at multiple Indigenous players. Follows a spate of online abuse directed at uh, multiple players this last week, the AFL has vowed to make every effort to track down the perpetrators. The vile attacks on First Nations players threatening to overshadow the league's first ever gather round. Shin Wells has the details. Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. It's been billed as a celebration of footy in the city of Churches. More than 200,000 tickets sold for nine AFL matches this round, all being played in Adelaide. No matter your gender, your colour, your religion or your creed, footy is for everyone. And that's what we celebrate here in South Australia this weekend. But that message of inclusivity has been lost on some. The shine of the new initiative tarnished by the racial abuse of multiple AFL players. The online attacks have been directed towards four Indigenous players in the space of two days this week. It is disappointing to see and I guess that we just have to continue to keep educating, you know, continue to keep talking about it. A Brisbane Lions supporter has reported abuse directed at Charlie Cameron. Adelaide youngster Isaac Rankin responded to his abuser's post directly, while Fremantle's Nathan Wilson and Michael Walters were also subjected to similar vilification. 
Two weeks ago, Western Bulldogs forward Jamara Hagen pointed to his skin after also having racial abuse directed at him. It harked back to the celebrated stance of Nikki Winmar, which the Indigenous star made on the field almost 30 years ago to this day. We can go back to Sir Doug Nichols' days and even before Sir Doug about racism in the AFL, but it's, just, it's not just something that the AFL are dealing with, it's a society thing as well. It's a much broader um, scale that we're looking at just besides the AFL. The AFL has vowed to do all it can to track down the perpetrators of online racial abuse, but has acknowledged the difficulty with many of the accounts anonymous and often deleted after posts are made. Cyber experts are calling for players to be supported in making complaints to the police. If you go to the police and make a report, because this is a crime, the police can get the identification of the perpetrator and charge them. That's the only way this is going to change. An ugly blight on our national game as it makes on-field history. Sean Wales, NITV News. It has to be mentioned that today marks exactly 30 years since Nikki Winmar made a historic stand against racism. On April 17, 1993, Nikki Winmar stood defiantly in front of opposition spectators who had been hurling racial abuse at him. He lifted his jersey and pointed his skin, shouting, I am black and I'm proud to be black. Before his defiant stance, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander AFL players had endured racial abuse on the field from spectators and other players. Winmar's stand, which has captured, was captured in iconic photographs, opened the way to a code of conduct that was the first of its kind in Australia. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Also from NITV, we have a story about uh, the former Shadow Attorney General's resignation. Well, he resigned from the front bench less than two weeks after Peter Dutton announced Liberals would oppose Indigenous voice to Parliament. And his resignation came just days after fellow Liberal and Nunga Yamaji man Ken Wyatt quit the party for the same reason. Ken Wyatt, the first Aboriginal person to serve as the Federal Minister for Indigenous Australians, sat down with NITV News last week, telling West Australian correspondent Kieran Cox that it wasn't an easy decision, but that his love of the Liberal Party was outweighed by his commitment to the voice. It was hard to resign uh, because I have got incredible connections through the Liberal Party. I've got mates, friends and associates who I've had a long uh, relationship with prior to 2010. And that was hard. But the opposing the voice in the way that the Leader of the Opposition has done was something that I didn't agree with. Had he said, we're not supporting it, but I'm allowing a conscience vote, then that would, I would never have resigned. But when he went, I'm going to fight this, and then used words like elites and Canberra-based, and having heard the former Attorney-General say there are no race-based provisions in the Constitution and she was going to fight against it, that disappointed me, and that fundamentally consolidated my position. So... Yes, there is disappointment. But there is disappointment from the fact that Aboriginal people need to sit at the table 
and have an input into what's being planned about them, for them and with them. But for them to co-decide and co-design whatever it is, service, legislation, policy, whatever. What disappoints me is the lack of support for that. We do it for everybody else in Australia when it comes to legislation or policies or regs. But we don't do it for our people, except legislation that is specific to Indigenous Australians. So from NITV, uh, Zunola program, however, the following story about uh, the first Indigenous radio station to launch in an Australian capital city. Well, that uh, radio station has celebrated a significant anniversary. For 30 years, AAA or 98.9 FM, uh, Murray Country, has been giving a voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living in Minjin, Brisbane, using the power of radio as a catalyst for change. Tanisha Williams has the story. Three decades ago, Australia's first Aboriginal parliamentarian sent out an invitation. Welcome all. Tune in. An invitation to hear Indigenous voices tell our stories our way. Rather than have it, people telling the story about blackfellas, you know, whitefellas, tell them what they thought was the truth. Listening to the new 4AAA Aboriginal Radio. 30 years since that milestone moment, founding members of AAA Murray Country Radio gathered to celebrate with current staff at the station's new studios in Brisbane's West End. It's really great, you know, to catch up with people and, and just reflect on how far we've come. You know, in those early days trying to set up a radio station, you know, wow. When you think back, I, I don't know if I can do it again. The community station first started broadcasting into Brisbane households in April 1993, but its origins stretch back even further to the popular Murray Hour program on 4ZZZ, which began nearly a decade earlier. I've always been in the community and for the community, so this was set up for the community, 4AAA, Murray Hour, 4ZZZ, and it's evolved into what it is today, okay? It's been inside these studios over the past decade. The mob have continued to be a trusted voice in the community with deadly yarns, laughter and a perfect blend of country and Indigenous music. Okay, now mob have always... You know, I've, been, I've been rad growing up as, uh, on country music and, um, and so have many other people, so I think that's sort of... We, we enjoy it, but what also comes with that too is a, a non-Indigenous audience that we're able to educate through some of our programming. Today, the station still serves as a training ground for young broadcasters, a platform to discuss the political and social issues facing Indigenous Queenslanders and a place where new artists can break onto the airways. The station's current CEO hopes its founders would be proud of how far they've come. The visions that they had um, is what we're currently practising here now and, you know, AAA is excellence in First Nations media and that's what we... Um, what we aim to be every day. I know they'll be looking down really proud about what we've been able to achieve and seeing their vision come to fruition. Building on a proud legacy of First Nations broadcasting. Tanisha Williams, NITV News.
now a sweeping review of uh, every Australian television drama broadcast. Over half a decade has found our screens are still a long way from reflecting the true makeup of the nation. And while there have been improvements, particularly in First Nations representation, non-Anglo-Australians still only account for three in ten characters on our screens. Kodia Farad reports. Australia is now putting more money into producing its own television shows than ever before. Last year, a record $2.29 billion was spent on producing scripted dramas alone. But one in four of every show produced here still has an entirely Anglo-Celtic cast, according to a sweeping review from Screen Australia. Sydney-based actor Tiffany Wong says she is not at all surprised to hear it. I know that a lot of my friends who come from an Anglo background definitely have a lot more opportunity than I do. A couple of years ago when I was being submitted in person um, to these all ethnicity casting calls I would notice that everyone else had like blonde hair or you know have um, pale skin and that was quite daunting to me. Screen Australia's new report, titled Seeing Ourselves, looked at more than 3,000 main characters from 361 Australian dramas broadcast between 2016 and 2021. CEO Graham Mason says it found representation is improving, but too slowly. In just about every category, we've seen significant upswings. Not enough. We're nowhere near yet getting to parity of population, but things are definitely improving with particular note first nations is you know hitting it out of the ballpark which is great and that's a beacon i think that we'd like to see in all the others between 2016 and 2021, First Nations representation increased from 4.8% to 7.2%, almost double the figure of the Australian population. There were also more LGBTIQ plus characters, rising to 7.4%, but falling short of their 11% share of the population. Non-European representation surged from 6.9% to 16%, but still doesn't reflect the quarter of the real population they make up. And while characters with disabilities became more prominent, up from 3.6% to 6.6%, they missed the mark by the most, almost three times lower than in the population. Mr Mason says he believes every network and streaming service would benefit from improving those figures. And I think it's on three different counts. One, it's culturally important, and particularly for us as a cultural agency, that really matters. It matters creatively to have a range of voices telling a range of stories. It also matters commercially, because anyone who's really trying to attract viewers, whether to sell ads or make sure you keep subscribing or just to be aware of that channel, they need to reflect back to people themselves. But to reap the rewards, Miss Wong says everyone in the industry needs to come to the table. It's not just production companies need wanting to tell new diverse stories but it's also you know casting directors or directors being open to having diverse talent even when it's not a story about a particular ethnic background or a particular family um, I think it's just a hard thing where it's just a sort of cultural shift and some people aren't used to seeing other people on screen and some people aren't used to seeing themselves on screen as well so it's just it's a hard one claudia farhart sbs news you're with nitv radio
And uh, that was uh, Paint uh, This Land by uh, Busby Maru. Well, uh, with this uh, beautiful song, we come to, to the end of uh, today's program. I'm Bertrand Tungendami. Bertrand Tungendami, thank you for staying with us this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,